Chelsea Fairless. And welcome to another episode of Every Outfit. How are you, Chelsea? I'm good. Same old, same old. Your wife is out of town, so I become default (laughs) wife this week, so I have seen you a lot. (laughs) Yeah, we've done all sorts of fun shit. We went to the Academy Museum, which for those of you who don't live in Los Angeles, is that museum that they've been talking about building during the Oscars for like the past 10 years. What did you think? It's a mixed bag. Like if you love movies, you're going to have a good time because they have things in the collection that are, I overuse the term iconic a lot on this podcast, but literally iconic, like the ruby slippers from The Wizard of Oz, like the sled from Citizen Kane, that stuff. So that's always amazing to see. My favorite piece of ephemera was Barry Jenkins donated a letter that Warren Beatty had given him after the La La Land Moonlight debacle, where he's like, you're a great kid or something like that. That's the fun stuff that obviously you can't see anywhere. But I think what was surprising, given the fact that it's taken forever to build, it's been hyped up so much, it is five floors. I think we both had assumed that every aspect of filmmaking would be covered. And the fact that there isn't a larger exhibition dedicated to costume design, I think both (laughs) threw us for a loop. That rubbed both of us the wrong way. Well, in the costumes that they do have, it's like not what you want to see. It's like, I don't need to see Matthew McConaughey's astronaut costume from Interstellar. Like, that's not really that important in the scheme of cinema, right? Yeah. You know, it's like, great. You literally have the one surviving rosebud sled, which, spoiler alert, (laughs) but you don't have one costume by Edith Head. Yeah, it was crazy. And they also, I mean, they had a couple of things that people had worn to the Oscars. Like they had Rita Moreno's dress. They had the Bob Mackie dress with the headdress that Cher wore that one year. But they also could have had more of that. Like I think people would have loved to see famous Oscar outfits. Maybe we're just being rude bitches and someone that works at the museum is like, guys, that's a a planned exhibition for next year. (laughs) But I'm not so sure about that. And for those who think we're being overly critical, I think what also was surprising to us is there have been incredible costume exhibits recently in recent years. Yeah, like at LACMA, which is next to where the the Academy Museum is. Yeah, Yeah. Deborah Landis did an exhibit literally called Hollywood Costumes, which is one of the best exhibits, costume, art, or otherwise I think we've ever seen ever. So major. The costume room is a glorified closet. Yeah, but there were things that I loved, like obviously the Barbara Streisand bridge spoke to me, although tragically it did not play people softly when you walk across it, which I felt was a missed opportunity. Yeah, I think what we longed for was more chicness. But also, that's fine. Like, not every museum has to be super highbrow, but then go in the opposite direction and make it really fun and interactive, which it wasn't either. Yeah. It's kind of here nor there. I think that was more what was confusing is 
I would have thought that every aspect of filmmaking would be represented and covered. And right now it's like a very particular lens of cinema that I would call like a white boy Tumblr cinema view. Yeah. I saw clips from Rushmore multiple times in multiple rooms. And that film has never been nominated for an Academy Award. Yeah. I mean, Wes Anderson was very overrepresented overall. But that said, I mean, we're dragging it. But if you're visiting L.A., go. It's fun. Although I'm pissed off that Lauren cheaped out and robbed me of the, what was it called? The VIP experience, the deluxe experience. No, there's something, there's an additional thing for $15. You could have had what's called the Oscar experience. So we definitely will be going back to this museum, even though we just dragged it a bit because Chelsea wants to, we assume, hold an Oscar and give a speech. Yeah, they, they got to like take a picture of you and all of that. Like the one fun part we didn't do. Okay, but didn't you also <laughs> say you weren't properly dressed? Yeah, I'm going in black tie to do the um, the Oscar experience. What, what would I'm a bla- dusting off a gown. I was going to say, what's a black tie caftan? <laughs> I have one. Well, it's, it's like black satin and then it's trimmed with um, black marabou. All right. Well, I'll go in a tuxedo. We will do the Oscar experience and we'll post about it. What else do we have to talk about? There's not much Sex in the City news except for we now have confirmation that it is airing in December or it will begin airing in December. And just like that. And just like that, they dropped a little teaser that there wasn't really anything in it that we hadn't seen paparazzi photos of them filming. Although there was one like interior shot of Miranda in a kitchen that was like... Cooking. Yeah, cooking, which we had never seen. Maybe like me, she learned how to cook during the pandemic. I think we weren't expecting that it was going to air in December, although we're happy that it is, that we get it sooner rather than later, just because every season has premiered in the spring or summer, even the films. And I don't think of it as a wintry show, per se. Yeah, the only time we saw winter other than the first film is the back half of season six. Yeah. And also what's confusing is they shot in the summer and it'll be in the summer. Why am I complaining? We're getting it sooner. Great. Yeah. Moving on. Did you see that 60 Minutes whistleblower interview? I did. I did. So on Sunday, 60 Minutes interviewed the former Facebook employee and current Facebook whistleblower, Francis Hagen. Hagen smuggled out of the company tens of thousands of pages of research, which highlighted, among other things, they're basically doing nothing to stop hate on the platform. Instagram is definitely giving teenage girls eating disorders. And oopsies, they dissolved the Civic and Integrity Department shortly after the election, so there was no real safeguards to stop the January 6th insurrection. I mean, an evil tech company? Who knew? None of this is surprising. Like, we know that they're not doing much to control misinformation and hate speech and stuff on their platform. Obviously, this gives teenage girls eating or exacerbates things like eating disorders and depression in teenage girls. Like, that's just a given. It makes me depressed. <laughs> like, I'm sure a 12 year old or something is, you know, really fucking depressed. All I can say is is this what Cheryl Sandberg meant by leaning in? <laughs> What? To narc on Facebook? I mean, sometimes narking is good. We talk shit about narking, but sometimes people deserve to be narked on. I was slightly disappointed in the interview because it ends in a very like Harry and Meghan Oprah interview where Haugen was like, you know, I have a lot of empathy for Mark. You know, he didn't set out to make an evil company. And it's like, no. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, he set out to make a lucrative 
business. I don't think Mark Zuckerberg really cares about human connection that much. I mean, does he? Well, also, let's not forget how Facebook really started, which was Mark Zuckerberg creating a website where he put women's faces together and had people vote on who they'd rather fuck. Right. That's what he set out to do. And then in an oddly conspiratorial coincidence, Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, and Messenger were all out for most of Monday. Hallelujah. I enjoyed this tweet by Emily Heller that said, what if Zuck was like, sorry, guys, I realize it's evil, so I turned it off. Would we have to like him now? <laughs> I mean, I thought it was it was refreshing. I loved it. I mean, as someone that manages our Instagram account and does consulting and management for several other Instagram accounts, I loved that, you know, I, I didn't have to do shit. It was great. It was every influencer and social media manager's snow day. Yeah, and it makes you realize it's like nothing is that important. Nothing is even really that time sensitive. It's not like there was anything really major in the news happening that day that everyone needed to talk about. Except the fact that everyone ran to Twitter to talk about how Facebook and Instagram were down. Yeah, exactly. As coincidental as it was, there's not a big conspiracy. Anonymous didn't take it down. It was, according to them, a configuration change on the backbone routers that coordinate network traffic between our data centers caused the issues. Which could be a bunch of nonsense. Yeah, I mean, I like I, you're just telling me that like I have any idea what the fuck you're talking about. I think this should happen periodically. It was a very peaceful day. Yeah, but it also makes us realize it's like this could be every day. <laughs> we just choose to go on Instagram. Like at a certain point, we can say Facebook is evil and blah, blah, blah. But that kind of takes away our own agency in choosing to spend so much fucking time looking at our phones. We're doing this to ourselves, clearly. Although if Instagram disappeared tomorrow, a wide swath of what we do is gone. <laughs> I'd honestly prefer it. Let's just, <laughs> let's start over. Sorry, guys. Every outfit on Sex and the City is no more after today. As decreed by Chelsea. We're moving over to TikTok. Oh, God. All right. And now may I welcome you to Influencer Corner with Lauren Garoni, where I get into the other side of the internet that Chelsea just can't be bothered with. <laughs> I don't care about any of this, but tell me anyway. So TikTok and a good portion of internet discourse has been in a chokehold for the last week by two things. One, a sweet Bay Area millennial making a salmon bowl and something called Couch Guy, which I will get into in a second. A few weeks ago, a woman named Emily Mariko started posting how she eats her leftover salmon and rice, which is to flake off the salmon into bite-sized pieces, put it with leftover rice in a bowl with an ice cube, Put that in the microwave, take the ice cube out because it does not melt. Then put soy sauce, sriracha, and mayo on it, mix it all together. Then take a piece of dried seaweed to capture <laughs> that into the perfect bite. Well, have you eaten it? I have not, actually. Like, is it good? That's what I want to know. Like, it must be, or no one would care. Well, she posted the video of her remaking a salmon bowl two days ago. It currently has 17 million views, 2 million likes, and 14,000 comments. I think it's interesting just because it's not the most photogenic of dishes. Like, I can understand how the, like, whipped coffee or whatever that TikTok moment was. Like, I get how that happened just because visually it's a little right. more interesting. But this just looks like, I'm sure it's fabulous, but, like, it just doesn't look great. 
I'm fascinated by the fact that she has turned a whole generation of women that were, I assume, on keto to eat carbs again. I mean, I need someone to tell me if her food's good. Like, is she the new Alice Waters? Like, should I be, you know? Because from an aesthetic standpoint, there's nothing about this that seems exceptional to me, but clearly I'm just out of touch. Or the bar is just extremely low for entertainment. It might be that. I think it's the fact that it's in a way incredibly wholesome, but other people have posited she's not speaking. You don't need subtitles, so it really does have an international audience. Right. I also saw that you put Couch Guy on the dock. Correct. (laughs) Which was another TikTok thing. I don't know. You explain it. So on September 21st, Lauren Zares, a fellow Lauren, posted a video set to the audio bear song Still Falling For You of her visiting her boyfriend or surprising her boyfriend at college. And the video is of her entering this room that he's in. And he is on a couch holding his phone with a couple other girls. And he's not immediately excited. He's more like, oh, wow, you're here. Which is not what he says, but that's kind of what's written on his face. And she posted this, not like, I think I caught my boyfriend cheating. It's like, isn't it so sweet that I visited my boyfriend in college? So this video has 59.9 million views. 5 million likes, 125,000 comments. I'm not surprised because you have to watch the video like 10 times. (laughs) Like I watched it multiple times to really take it all in and to analyze his body language and just like the vibe. All right, I want to get into your read on this video in a second, but I discovered the video from other people commenting on the video because it literally created a whole other side of TikTok, which is Couch Guy TikTok. The Couch Guy has now claimed that the internet is gaslighting him. They have created terrible merch. No word if they've trademarked the phrase couch guy. Couch guy is sus. His vibe is not correct. As someone that's been in a long distance relationship, getting to see the person is the most exciting thing in the world, unless you hate them. Or unless you you already have, you know, one foot out the door, which seems to be the situation with this guy. Like he probably has a full nother girlfriend now. You're 1920 having a long distance relationship in college? What is she his high school sweetheart? Like, do we know that? Because those relationships just need to end. I know since the birth of like celebutant culture, people have thrown out that Andy Warhol quote that they always get wrong, which is like, everyone's going to be famous for 15 minutes, which the actual quote is in the future, everyone will be world famous for 15 minutes. And I think we've truly arrived at the time that Andy Warhol was talking about. Yeah. Because these are people achieving world fame for, let's say, okay, it was wrong about 15 minutes. It's like two and a half weeks. Well, I also thought about that quote, the the staging of the Balenciaga show this week, which we'll get into a little bit later. Yeah. Speaking of influencers, you put another influencer in the dock that I had no idea who the fuck they were, of course. Uh, Bretman Rock, who is the first gay man on the cover of Playboy. Yes, Chelsea, please believe me when I tell you, given the detail I just gave about these TikTokers, I don't understand what he does either. Wikipedia tells me he's a beauty influencer, but all I see on his YouTube channel are like workout routines and survival challenges. Yeah, I mean, I didn't know who he was. I had seen the issue of Candy magazine that he was on the cover on, but I didn't really like I didn't know who he was at the time. You know, we need gay men on the cover of magazines that straight guys jerk off to. (laughs) 
Just kidding. Literally, no one's jerked off to Playboy in like at least 15 years. We have the internet now. It is pretty crazy if they had just decided in 2005 to become a fashion porn aesthetic fashion magazine a la Purple or something. Like the different timeline that would have been opened up to well, us. Well, they're kind of there now. Right, I mean, it's it, too it, late. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely too late. It's also funny because when I saw these black and white images of these guy in the bunny ears i was like oh is he just like a deranged ariana grande fan now for me it's like the combination of like black and white photography and playboy ears just like it's not elsa peretti by helmet newton anymore it's fucking ariana grande and her demented cosplaying fans yeah he was at uh, new york fashion week looking incredible pulling looks I'm here for it, but I do find it interesting what influencers we anoint with legit opportunities. Yeah. Like, I think he looks great on the cover. He should be on the cover, but it's like, okay, huh, him. All right. I don't know. This The styling of it doesn't really speak to me. I think that if you're putting a man on the cover of Playboy, I would have preferred it to be that sort of like when Brad Pitt was in drag on the cover of Rolling Stone vibe is more subversive, I think. But he is a gay man that enjoys wearing dresses to begin with. So it doesn't have the, quite the same subversion of putting Brad Pitt in a dress circa Fight Club. I don't know. I just feel like I see images like this on the Internet all day long. I also love Playboy, you know? They used to have amazing covers. I know, I bought a few at a <laughs> an estate sale recently. What else do we have? Oh, right. This week, Lizzo was caught in 4K, as the kids say, asking noted abuser Chris Brown for a picture. And as you might expect, the internet was not too pleased with this. I mean, I don't love Chris Brown because of his shitty behavior, but also because I was never really a big Chris Brown fan to begin with. But I'm not about to cancel Lizzo for being a fan of his. Like, it may not be the best look, but I also don't think that celebrities necessarily have to be role models. And everyone's just, like, being hypocritical, let's face it. Yeah, I mean, everyone has a problematic person that because they enjoy their art so much they're going to look over the fact that we as a society may have canceled them yeah like no one is that morally pure everyone basically cherry picks like who they're going to cancel who they're going to give a pass to like I think a lot of people that would cancel Chris Brown might give a pass to John Lennon for the exact same behavior yeah but TMZ didn't post about John Lennon (laughs) that's true That's true. That was pre-TMZ. Although I say anyone who doesn't have a problematic fave cast the first stone. We all do. Do you? Well, for example, I love Eminem, despite his insanely fucked up, homophobic, violent, misogynistic lyrics. I've just always liked his music. And by his music, I mean like his early music. I'm not listening to Eminem, like new Eminem in 2021. You don't have thoughts about his title track Venom for the soundtrack to the film Venom? No, I do not. But yeah, that's, you know, he holds a special place in my heart. I'm sorry. He just does. You're like, if the real Slim Shady comes on, I'm (laughs) going to listen to it. Exactly. Yeah, I think about, for me, a recent reckoning has been with Joss Whedon, the creator of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, as in the past five years, it has come out of just how much of a shitty person he is. You have Ray Fisher, who accused him of verbal abuse on the set of Justice League. 
You have the actress Charisma Carpenter who played Cordelia Chase on Buffy and then Angel who came out recently to talk about how he bullied her, fired her, and then that led the cast of Buffy to also speak up about Joss Whedon's behavior, including Michelle Trachtenberg, who was a teenager at the time of filming and was like, oh yeah, it was well known on set that Joss couldn't be around me. And the reason that I include this is because as an adult and in light of these allegations against him, I have rewatched Buffy and realized he branded a self-branded feminist and branded by the entertainment industry as a so-called feminist because Buffy's a tough chick. It's like, oh no, he hates beautiful women and he loves punishing them. Like every time Buffy has sex, she's punished in one way or another. Yeah, but that can be said of like half of the great male auteurs, you know? Right, but his behavior, I mean, the Eminem stuff kind of happened in tandem. Like... His... But Eminem doesn't have, like, rape allegations. Eminem doesn't have right. domestic violence allegations like Chris Brown. We assume that he's probably smacked someone around at some point because we've all heard that Rihanna song. The Eminem-Rihanna did... song. Yeah. Whatever that duet was that they did. Hate to love you. Whatever. <laughs> I think upon reflection, it's like, oh, yeah, this isn't as great or... Uh, enlightening or empowering as I once thought it was as a child and it built a lot of my ideas about writing and what I enjoy so but I think it's also important to note like I mean I have a lot of problematic faves I think most of them are men but also like problematic ladies are great too you know like go on I love like Valerie Solanas yeah she may have tried to kill Andy Warhol and yes she wanted to kill all men but the scum manifesto is very well written it's very well written and it you know I can look past all of those things and also like she wasn't wrong (laughs) I know seriously I also like Eileen Wernos. I mean, a lot of those guys definitely did not deserve to be murdered, but... Oh, yeah. Going back to the Academy Museum, there's a room that just has screens that's playing different Academy Award-winning films, and I just turned, and Chelsea was standing in front of the screen that had Charlize Theron as Eileen Wernos. You were just transfixed. Uh, that was so good. Do we still have you guys? Is anyone still listening? <laughs> if so, we're about to get into fashion. All right. So we went shopping this week together, which we almost never do. Which might surprise people. Well, also, who goes shopping anymore? Like, we buy things on the internet. That's true. And then are forced to return them in person. Yeah. The only reason why we went shopping was because our friend Jessica Glasscock, who is an amazing fashion historian, was in town and she hadn't been to L.A. forever. So we had to show her West Hollywood's finest uh, retailers. First stop was Maxfield's, of course. Maxfield, iconic. We did Acne. We did Dries Van Noten. We did Rick Owens, Just One Eye. Yeah, it was fabulous. After going to all those places and seeing all the clothes, what stood out to you? Like, what do you remember? Well, having grown up here, the the rise of the part of Melrose, the west part of Melrose that's almost on the border of Beverly Hills has been interesting. I mean, Maxfields has been there forever. For those who don't know, it's basically the Erewhon of clothing. Maxfield? An amazingly curated... Yeah, it's our our most important store that's uniquely based in Los Angeles. Like, before I would have said that it was Barney's, but now that's gone. R.I.P. And then in recent years, yeah, Acne's opened up, Ghani... 
Byredo, which you had a little session in. You're yeah, such a like, Byredo head. Of course. You can't not be. The Rick Owens store is very singular. It's on La Brea. It is this white box monolith. And it's the most beautiful store, honestly. It's just, it's stunning. And we basically brought Jessica there just so she could take a photo with the Rick Owens chair. It's a parody of those um, Ellen Jones chairs of like, it's Rick Owens and you can sit on his ass. Yeah, it's a mannequin of Rick Owens. Yeah, to me, after seeing everything, I mostly remember the fabulous row pieces that we saw at Just One Eye, which were just stunning. The row, or as I like to call it, Uniqlo for the 1% of the 1%. But it's like you understand why people are shelling out so much money for this stuff because you look at like, you know, a simple black button down shirt and you're like, this is the best shirt I've ever seen. And it's priced accordingly. Exactly. I think what was impressive about Just One Eye, which has opened up in the last couple of years, and it was, it's a former Maxfield's buyer, right? Yeah. It really answers the question of like, what is the point of physical brick and mortar retail? Because having traveled recently and gone into a lot of luxury shops, just when I had Prada pieces that I had not seen in the Prada display at Harrods or the Prada store in Rome. And so the ability- <laughs> It's like the bougiest thing yeah. you've ever said. Yeah. Guess what? <laughs> it is. And I understand that. But I think it's a worthwhile experience for those who are visiting, for those who live here and haven't been of just- the amazing curation and selection that they have. Yeah. They have a singular point of view and it's always just interesting to see what they buy. It was fun to see the Paco Rabanne stuff that they had in there. Yeah, so few places physically carry it. Like it's a on Shop Up and Net a Porter a lot, but you don't see it. Well, in it's person. really expensive also. There's but that. I, but also it's like it's chain mail. Like that's yeah. not cheap to make. It's not like a t shirt or something. But yeah, that was fabulous. In other fashion news, the Balenciaga show happened this week. Without a doubt, the standout show of the season. I'm sure many of you have seen the images online, but essentially the show took place on a red carpet, which was in front of a theater. The audience that was there to see the show was seated inside, and then video from the red carpet outside was projected onto the screen. So people were watching Models arrive and celebrities arrive in real time. Right. It's a comment on just the nature of runway shows, fashion, red carpet presentations, something that Demna had wanted to do for a couple of years, I read. Yeah. And it was it was interesting because it wasn't immediately clear who was part of the show, who was just a guest that was dressed in Balenciaga, was dressed in pasties in Balenciaga, and who was just journalists and, and normal people, for lack of a better term. It was all kind of mixed together. But yeah, I mean, very much a comment on our collective obsession with fame and the fact that and the fact that normal people are famous these days. I mean, apparently we're just one bomb ass salmon bowl away from celebrity. Are you jealous, Chelsea? <laughs> no, I mean, I think it was really, really smart. I think the collection was really, really beautiful. And that's the crazy thing. That would have been enough. Yeah, that would have been enough. And then the models come off the red carpet. They're seated in the theater amongst the audience. The fashion normies. <laughs> yeah. And then a 10-minute special episode of The Simpsons is screened for the crowd, which was so fabulous. So good. And it wasn't a knockoff. They actually made it for them. 
It was so funny. It was like many episodes of The Simpsons, oddly heartwarming. Oh, I cried when Marge tried on a Balenciaga dress. (laughs) So the storyline is that Homer is going to get a gift for Marge. He waits the last second. He gets on the phone with Balenciaga. He's trying to just get a Balenciaga tag in in a box. They send him a dress that's 19,000 euros. Marge tries it on. That's when I started crying legitimately. (laughs) Not even like welling up, like truly tears down my face like I'm Erica Jane being accused of Tom Girardi's crimes. And... (laughs) She knows that they have to send the dress back. Demna feels very, uh, his heart is warmed by Marge's love of the dress. He comes to Springfield. It's a shithole. He decides to bring Springfield to Paris and they do the collection that you just saw on the different Simpsons characters. I think it really shows that you don't have to make a dumb fashion film that nobody wants to watch. You can make video content that entertains people just like Netflix and Hulu do. I mean, these brands invest so much money in creating video content. Why not make something that could hold its own against actual television shows? Demna's around our age. I know he grew up in the Soviet Union, but he must have also loved that episode where Marge finds the Chanel suit at the thrift store. Oh, of course, of course. And becomes the talk of the the clubs, and she keeps trying to repurpose the outfit until she, she ruins it. Well, I think it's genius because it also shows that you don't have to know about Balenciaga or care about Balenciaga to enjoy this. You know, it was fab. I would give anything for some actress to actually wear that sequin column skirt with a hoodie on the red carpet. You know, I'm sure someone will. It was all very wearable. Yeah. That's the beauty of it because there's not that many fashion shows that I look at that I'm like, oh, I could wear that or my friend could look amazing in that. He's really designing like actual functional glamorous clothes and it's just refreshing to see. So I think the other noteworthy thing in Paris was the fashion show that was held in honor of the late designer Albert Albaz. 45 designers created clothes spiritual (laughs) nods to the designers work i would say yeah yeah 45 designers made custom pieces that paid tribute to his incredible body of work i mean that was also touching it's sad though it's sad that he didn't get to see this because i think he would have loved it it was such an extraordinary show but it did make me feel like, and I know this is terrible to say, but I was like, I wish we would do more of this, you know, without a designer dying, but designers coming together to do their interpretation of another designer's work. Totally. Although this did feel like the fashion equivalent of who's bringing what to a picnic. It's like Ralph Lauren is immediately like, whoa, whoa you know what? We're just going to do a nod to Albert. <laughs> Ralph Lauren's was one of my favorites. Was actually. it really? Yeah, I loved that. I thought that was really, really cute. Yeah, I, I loved Alaya. Also, Balenciaga was great. And there was a lot of just like beautiful dresses, you know, the Valentino. Beautiful did, Gorgeous gowns. gowns. You know, just gorgeous. Also, I thought Saint Laurent's look was pretty fierce. They did like a tuxedo look. But the worst ones were the people that just refused to do anything outside of what they normally do. Like Chloe, who trotted out another just raggedy ass knit fringe skirt. Bottega Veneta, who couldn't even not use that green for one outfit. And Iris Van Herpen, who made another dress that looks like an alien's vagina. And that got me thinking, like, 
I don't think there are any Iris Van Herpen dresses that don't look like alien vaginas. And if there are, I dare someone to find one. Isn't that her specialty? Alien vagina dresses? I think so. I think so. Nothing wrong with it. It's very fun to see because it's like a highbrow Project Runway or something. Yeah, we were missing Nina Garcia and Michael Kors looking at it disapprovingly. (laughs) Yeah. That's what a designer should do. Going back to Demna and Balenciaga and just humor. If a designer, I don't know who would have the sense of humor to do this. Maybe Moschino, where the collection was viewed as a Project Runway episode. And you brought Tim Gunn back backstage being like, make it work, make it work. Amazing. Yeah, I'd love to see more stuff like this. I mean, they did do this for... Sonia Reichel's last collection. Right. And she was still alive to witness it. I forget I forget when that was, but I know it was either 2008 or 2012 because I remember that Rodarte sent out a knit dress that just said Obama. <laughs> it was really fucking cute. Um, Nothing to do with Sonia Reichel's Well, work. it felt, it did though. Like at the time it seemed cool and it seemed relevant for sure. It's the, the one thing I remember. That and the Margiela look, which was just made out, made to look like her hair. Do you want to talk about Margiela? <sighs> I don't want to talk about Margiela because I refuse to see a fashion show in the form of gifts of sad looking fishermen. Like I don't want to do it and it makes me upset. And they need to have an actual fashion show. I'm sorry. I'm done with this. The delivery on Vogue Runway is multiple models in a darkly lit room in gift form. So it's impossible to see what the clothing is, what the collection is. And it's very infuriating. Although I do like the concept of a lookbook with gifts, but it's like just put a model on a spinning. On a rotating platform. Yeah. I know. Jesus Christ. What did you think about Chanel? As we previously said, if you don't know what to do, just redesign your 90s archive. Yeah, I think it was better for it. I also love how they had the photographers lining the runway, uh, which made it look like a 90s fashion show. That was really cute. And yeah, that's clearly what people want. A show that Linda Evangelista should have been in. (laughs) I know. I know. What else do we have? Come to Garçon. Remember how I said that the last show reminded me of clinical depression? (laughs) This one also reminded me of clinical depression, but that part of clinical depression where you start to see the joy in life again, like you're still depressed, but you're like, that's a beautiful sunset. I thought you were going to say it's like a chic Lexapro ad or something. Yeah, it's like the heaviness is still there, but there's also a curiosity and a playfulness to it that I thought was really fabulous. Of the shapes and the dresses. I thought the colors were nice, the pops of color. Yeah, but the darkness is still there, right? It's kind of like we try and obscure our emotional baggage with with bows and, and shit, you know? Sorry, I'm sounding like Carrie Bradshaw here. I know. I mean, you are adorned completely in bows right now, so <laughs> what are you trying to tell me, Joe? It actually reminded me of, I mean, this is very abstract, but Mary Gateskill's description of Karen Carpenter. Sure. Which is that she was always locked in a dark place, but she was always entirely focused on a strip of light underneath the door. That's what this reminded me of. You need to write Ray's (laughs) show notes for the collections now. I mean, I think that Carpenters would have been a great soundtrack for this show, actually. Do you want to talk about Mew Mew or uh, Vuitton? Mew Mew, because you said it first, I guess. This collection deeply triggered me as someone that went 
to junior high and high school in the early 2000s that had a uniform of khaki and blue sweaters. Yeah. Did not enjoy that. Did not enjoy the reimagining of the slutty micro miniskirt. I disagree. I thought it was fabulous. I loved it. I love the proportion. I love the silhouette. And it's unfortunate because the people that buy these Mew Mew micro minis are not going to be styling them like this. Oh, I enjoyed the collection. I just am, I'm, can already see the fast fashion fallout of them bringing the micro mini back. And that's yeah. what I'm not looking forward to. No, that's true. And that's inevitable also. But it's also interesting to see them just propose a very different silhouette than what we've been seeing from other designers. Like, I feel like Mew Mew isn't really, I don't want to say that Mew Mew does the same thing all the time, but it's a lot of baby dolls. Like slutty baby doll is their vibe and that's what they do. And this was a departure from that, which I appreciate. Slutty boarding school vibe? <laughs> yeah. Well, if Ryan Murphy ever makes another show about high school, you know this is going to be the uniform. Yeah, well, it's genius because it's like when you go to boarding school in the early 2000s, but then you modify your uniform so you look like a horror. You know, that's what it was. It's like everything, like I'm but, tying up my shirt. I'm cutting off, you know. But it also did have a few substitute teacher looks. Like Ella Emhoff was kind of in these ill-fitting. Ella Emhoff was in every show. This is true. In Paris, I feel. She looks great at Balenciaga. Can we now create the term a super noddle? Because I think she is the epitome of a super noddle. Well, she's just like famous in her own right. What else? Louis Vuitton. What a fun show. Because of the protester. It was fun regardless. I mean, there was a protester at Louis Vuitton. This particular show was set at the Louvre or some building around there. It was like the most opulent and over-the-top show you can imagine. Right. The show's all about historicism. There's literally models wearing like 18th century hoop skirts and shit. It is like as Marie Antoinette as a Louis Vuitton show has ever been. And then midway through the show, this woman comes out holding a banner that says overconsumption equals extinction. Correct. She's not wrong. She's not wrong. It's just uh, this kind of protesting has always felt to me like eco protesters that would set fire to a Hummer dealership. It's like what one. OK, that's not the same as this. My point being that I don't think it's going to elicit the change you think it's going to. And I don't know if luxury fashion is necessarily the thing in the fashion industry to point to about overconsumption and extinction of the environment. I think fast fashion is a more appropriate target. Yes, but Forever 21 doesn't have fashion shows. Isn't, Sh isn't Shine going to? We have to check in on that. Yeah, that's what you should really protest. I don't know. I think it's cool. Yeah, I mean... I support her, honestly. I'm, I'm into it. And she's going to be in the annals of protesters crashing fashion shows. Well, yeah, we're talking about it now. It did work. Like, And she's right. I think that we are closer to extinction than uh, people would like to think. Yeah, but that only bum, makes bum. me want to buy more luxury goods. <laughs> well, the other funny thing about it was that were they literally playing the soundtrack from A Quiet Place? Or not the soundtrack, the score? The score, I don't... If they if it wasn't the score from The Quiet Place, it was as close to it as you could get, which I, made it extra eerie and dramatic. 
I enjoyed the fact that seemingly the audience couldn't tell if this was part of the show or not. I think they can tell. I think it's just jarring. Maybe after the Balenciaga show, people were like, we don't know what to expect. (laughs) But I think people are pretty used to these stunts at this point. So yeah, fashion month is over. Blessed be. We can rest. And now that it's over, Kardashian time? Uh Uh-oh. Kardashian-aholics anonymous. This is a case for the FBI. (laughs) So we don't have a ton of major Kardashian news this week, but we have Kardashian news that's major to me. Like Kris Jenner's Christmas ad for children's place pajamas. Yeah, you sent this to me the other night, and my only comment was, too soon, okay? Can we just get through Halloween before Christmas is shoved down our throats? I know, it's not even Halloween, let alone Thanksgiving. It is pretty insane. Or is it because there's a couple dozen boats outside the Long Beach Harbor that can't offload their goods? Is Chris Mm -hmm. like, you better order now, because by the time this stuff is finally offloaded and shipped, it will be Christmas. I love how they roped MJ into this commercial, only gave her one line, and let's just say, not to knock MJ, it was not convincingly delivered. How dare you go after a, what do you call, a nine-year-old woman? I think great-grandma gets to choose this year. You know what she does? She earned it. I also love that Chris had to mention after pay in the ad it's like you can get these ugly ass christmas pajamas for you and your entire family like and pay for it in four installments that's dark is this our christmas gift should i be expecting this come december no because none of it's like kardashian branded it's just like ugly christmas pajamas you know i think the more exciting thing is kylie's nightmare on elm street palette With the self-harm aesthetic (laughs) promo photos of her bleeding from her arm. I'm really confused because the images are meant to look like she has been slashed by Freddy Krueger. But the makeup is not special effects makeup. It's like YouTube makeup. You know what I mean? It's like how Jeffree Star would do like a cut or something. Yeah, and she lives here. There are plenty of very chic special effects people who could have done this. Also, does Kylie Jenner know that Freddy Krueger is like a pedophile? Yeah. Spoiler alert for Nightmare on Elm Street, but... You you maybe don't realize that on the first watch, but then once you really start thinking about the fact that he's a serial killer of children and all the parents in the town like rounded him him up and burned him to death, it's things start to click into place. You think this should have been Kylie X Jason Voorhees collab? Her in a hockey mask with talon nails? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know what I would would have preferred. I mean, it's kind of cool. I'm kind of into it. Oh, Daily Mail has some of the choice comments, and this one's pretty good. You should collab with Jesus. That would be something to be proud of. Can you imagine how upset people would be (laughs) if she did a Jesus? Think of how mad people were with Martin Scorsese for The Last Temptation of Christ. Could you imagine Kylie X Jesus palette? (laughs) Oh, her in a... She's like, this is my holy water... um... (laughs) Lip gloss. (laughs) Oh, Kylie died for our sins. Rough week for, for Kylie. Her swim line finally launched and the internet was flooded with people trying on the swim collection and it being utter trash. It being completely see-through, seams not being completely finished, and no one be, being able to reach customer service to return and get a refund. Did you try and get a refund? 
Um, I knew already. I mean, as thoughty as I go with an influencer swimmer brand is Emrata, so... I mean, that's pretty thoughty. Yeah. I think just these clothes, I mean, regardless of... They're just not cute. That's its first offense. That's the first problem. The second problem is the, clearly the quality. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not excited about Kylie Swim. Don't care. Yeah, it's funny because I saw people trying to bring skims into the conversation and it's like, no, like say what you want about Kim Kardashian, but skims is actually good. Once you can figure out your size, because that's the fuck thing about skims. Yeah, once they have your size in stock is the other thing. In other Kardashian brand news, Kanye has filed a trademark application for Donda headphones, speakers, what have you. So we're fully in the Dondaverse. Great. I don't really have brand loyalty to any particular company. I mean, I have Apple headphones. I guess I have an Apple HomePod, but it just feels like that's the only option that doesn't look kind of crappy. Yeah, but what if the Donda speaker just periodically puts out Kanye's speeches? I hope that it has like Siri type voice commands. And when it doesn't understand what you're saying, it just does that like, huh? No, that noise in our... (laughs) In the intro to the Kardashian segment. And then, yeah, there's not too much. I mean, Kim and Kanye went to Nobu last week with their with friends and their children. And it's I guess the big news story is that just because they're getting a divorce, they're still friendly. How civilized. How conscious uncoupled. They're like lesbians them. now. It's it's great. And then yeah, Kim's hosting SNL this week, so we will be watching. Yeah, I can't wait for that. I want to see what she wears. Balenciaga, I'm guessing. She's continued to wear Balenciaga this week, so the rain is not over. I wonder if Demna designed a custom piece for her. That would be cool. I'm sure. All right, guys. This has been fun. Thank you to those who listened through the Kardashian segment. We know it's painful to some. And we'll be back next week. Bye, guys. Bye.